Friends, I wonder, what is it that you hear when you read from Matthew or Mark or Luke this account of the Lord's Supper? Hopefully there's echoes of our own liturgy that you hear in those words because that's where we got it from, was from the testimony in Scripture of what happened on that night that our Lord Jesus was betrayed. What happened on that night when he came here to the table with his friends to give this final lesson, this final testament, this final assurance and explanation of the covenant that Jesus was establishing with his body and his blood for all of God's people. What is it that you hear in Matthew and Mark and Luke especially if you take a moment this week just to read each one of them again. There's a beauty in the similarity. And I hope that's one part of this that we hear is this testimony of Scripture's consistency that these three separate authors inspired by the Holy Spirit would recount this event and we know that they're talking about the same time and the same place. Some of the same words are used to reinforce what it is that we are doing here when we take of the bread and the cup and what it means to us and for us. I wonder if you also hear or could notice some of the nuance, a couple not huge differences but distinctions that different authors make from one to the next gospel. When they talk about the cup, One thing that that has always stood out to me about the communion account is that Mark just says, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. In Mark's gospel, Jesus says, "This this cup is poured out for many. Matthew says the same thing, but adds, this this cup is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Meaning that the pouring out of the cup is not an end in itself. It's for something. And specifically, the pouring out of the cup for many is for the forgiveness of sins. Meaning the message of the table goes beyond us, beyond just who's in the room or who's watching right now. This cup is for many. And what is it for? It is for the forgiveness of sins, for that reminder and assurance. But maybe if we only had Mark and Matthew, it might almost make communion feel Like, it's kind of this thing for everyone else. And it is for everyone else. This is the good news of the gospel in a tangible form that is meant to be shared with the world. But the gospel of Luke repersonalizes the cup in saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So it is poured out for many as are gathered. It is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But don't hear the many and forget that that many includes you. It includes Terry and Chris and Paul and Tammy and John and Heather and Kim. It includes many. And that you are included in the many. With just Matthew and Mark, it could seem a bit impersonal. With just Luke, it could seem a little bit exclusive. But with all three of the Gospels, we are reminded who this table is for. And that beautiful invitation that it is still for us.
This is one of the things that defines the church. The apostles' teaching and fellowship and the breaking of bread and prayers. This supper is one of the practices that has defined the church for millennia. And over the different centuries, because history can move slowly, over the different centuries, we've, we've paid attention to what is it about this moment when Jesus celebrated it and when we remember it and celebrate it again. What is it about this moment that delivers on the meaning? And there's two words that in the Reformed tradition we use in the Heidelberg Catechism and the Belgic Confession. We talk about communion as a sign and as a seal. Communion is a sign and a seal, as is baptism. These are our sacraments, meaning sacred things. Baptism and communion are signs and seals. We'll get to sign in a minute, but, but just to clarify um, that when we talk about seals, we're, we're not talking about the small endangered animal. Um, we're talking about a seal, like out of wax. A seal in particular, denotes authority. And to think about communion as a seal upon us. Now, back in the day, they didn't have separate envelopes to put letters in. But, but rather, a letter, once it was written, would be rolled up and folded, and then it would be pressed flat. And where the paper would overlap, they'd pour wax on it. And if it were a royal letter, then someone with a ring, with a signet seal, a royal seal, would press the ring or the stamp onto the hot wax. And that was to seal the letter, meaning that only the person it was intended for could open the seal. And, and if you've read the book of Revelation, you've heard the same language before of who is worthy to break the seal and to open the scroll. This is the same meaning that we're talking about with communion. That when we take communion, we remember that we have been sealed by God's love. That, that the message that you write on a letter is meant for its recipient. And it's written by its author. And that if you think of your heart as a letter, God has written his love on your heart. If you have accepted Jesus Christ, then the testimony of salvation through Jesus is written on your heart. And it is sealed, not because it's not meant to be shared, but because it was written with the authority of the author. And that it has been sealed and marked as Christ's own. Your heart has Christ's seal upon it. Because in baptism... We receive a new identity. We receive our name in Christ. And whenever we come to the table, we remember that we have been sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And that we bear the seal of Christ. Think about how an important letter um, with, with a seal on it would let you know that, that this letter speaks with the authority of the one who sent it. We are Christ's ambassadors, and when we partake of the bread and the cup, we remember that we have Christ's seal upon us, which means that when, when we speak, we speak as one who speaks on God's behalf. We are Christ's ambassadors. If a, if a letter was posted in a public place meant to be read, 
by the whole group of the town. It would have the king's seal upon it, meaning these words are spoken on behalf of the king or the emperor. When we come to communion, we remember that we are sealed and that we have the privilege and responsibility of speaking on God's behalf. And if we're going to do that, we need to stay very connected to Jesus so that we can speak on his behalf accurately and with integrity. We speak on behalf of the king because we have been sealed. I think the other thing that gives me the most encouragement as I think about what it means to be sealed by Christ and that that when we come here, we were to be nourished by the table, we remember that we are sealed, is that, that once a letter is sealed, it's sealed because you have to break the seal to read the letter. So what is written inside it is not taken away by anyone except for the one who breaks the seal. If your life is a letter and you bear Christ's seal upon you because you carry the gospel in your heart, you carry the testimony of God's love in your heart, then know that no matter what the devil throws at you or no matter what life's troubles push at you, the letter can be crinkled up, it can go through hard times, it can be stomped on, but the seal cannot be broken except by the one who is worthy to break the seal. That no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, Christ's seal remains intact on us, meaning the gospel hope that we have remains in our hearts, and no one can take that away from us. Because the good news of the gospel is meant to be shared as a letter is meant to be sent, but it is sealed within you because it cannot be taken away. It cannot be tampered with. It cannot be stolen from you because it is sealed in our hearts. And we come to communion to remember that and to strengthen ourselves, to be nourished, to remember the good news that we carry as if our life were a letter with a holy seal upon it. In baptism, we declare you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ's own forever. And when we come to the table, we take some food for the road to keep carrying the good news that is sealed in our hearts. Communion is a seal. It's also a sign. Last week, Caitlin and I were in the UP um, to officiate um, Alex and Emily Doherty's wedding. So congratulations again to Alex and Emily. And uh, at, at the suggestion of the family, we did take a little bit of time to go hiking. And we went to Dead River Falls. Now, it's the UP. It's, it's a whole different place up there. And I kind of fell in love with it. It was really fun. I want to go back. But when we were there... To get to Dead River Falls, you, you kind of go to the dead end of a pretty unmarked road, and if you were anywhere else that was more touristy, you'd think for sure you were on the wrong road. You get to the end of the road, and there's a water turbine plant, and there's lots of signs saying, you know, don't deface this property, don't commit vandalism, it's the UP, we'll take care of you, and no one will ever find you. And there's all the warnings around the water plant, the water turbine there. And then there's just this plain, boring, wooden sign around a, the fen a fenced gate that says, Dead River Falls, and an arrow. That's it. 
The sign, plain and simple, the sign is not a waterfall. It is not nearly that exciting. It's just a plain wooden post with a word on it. Dead River Falls. The sign is not the thing itself, but it is pointing you towards it. And when we talk about communion as a sign, we partake and we remember what Christ said, this is my body, this is my blood. But communion is a sign pointing us back in remembrance. It is a sign pointing us back to the cross, remembering that Jesus died for us. Communion is a wayfinder for us. It is pointing us in the right direction. It reorients us back towards Christ. Communion is a sign that points the way. I don't know if any of you have ever been lost or would care to admit that you were lost, but it does happen to some people. And in those moments, we need a sign, we need a landmark to point us back on track and to remind us that we are on the right track. Communion is to be practiced regularly as Christians. We gather together to do this in remembrance of Christ because we need signs along the way to keep pointing us in the right direction, to correct our course when we've gone off the path, and to have the assurance that we are traveling steadily forward, faithfully in the right direction. Communion is a sign. It's a sign that carries a seal with it. But signs can do things, but they are limited. This is one of our stop signs for the crossing, um, for, for all the crossing guards to use. Now, it's bright, it's easy to see, but the stop sign has power, but it's limited. Uh, consider that, you know, uh, holding a stop sign when we go out into the crosswalk, cars are still coming at us. We hope they stop, and we hold the signs for that reason. And they do have slightly jagged edges, so I think if somebody did come too close, you could, you know, scrape their uh, hood a little bit. Although that might give the church a bad reputation. So we don't do that. But it has been tempting a couple times. The sign can only do so much. It can tell you what to do and where you should be. But, but it doesn't have active agency, meaning the sign can tell you to stop, but it can't make you stop. The, the sign doesn't have arms that can reach down and stop a car in the intersection. The sign just is there to tell you the way. It says, stop, and you should. Communion, if communion had to have a stop sign with it, it would be the reminder that, that we live in this world sometimes frantically, that we are here, there, everywhere, that, that we are busy, that we are stressed, that we're, we're trying to make it through the next week, we're looking ahead to next month, that we've got lots of decisions to make, especially this year. There are things on our mind, things are getting bogged down, we are busy, our calendars are being full, we hardly have enough time to take care of ourselves, we don't have enough time for, for friends and connection, we don't feel like we have enough time for all kinds of things, and communion says, stop, stop. Stop and take a moment here. Take a step back from all of your busyness and receive these good gifts for the people of God. There are trials that we go through in life where God may seem distant. We're not sure where to find God in the midst of our suffering. We might feel like we've lost our way 
Or maybe we felt like God has lost track of us. Because how could we be going through what we're going through if God has not lost track of us? And we don't know where to find God in the midst of it. Communion says, stop. Stop a moment, even in the midst of your sufferings, and remember that this is where I said I would be. This is my body, broken for you in all of your suffering. This is my blood, poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. This is where I told you that you could find me. And it might not seem like much. It might not seem like much when you have the weight of the world on your shoulders. But nonetheless, Christ in his sign to us says, stop. Stop and receive this gift. Not just a pep talk, not just words that you hear and process, but receive this gift of my body. Whoa. Not just words that you can hear or reverberate, but a sign that you can see, that you can taste, that you can touch. Receive this tangible sign in the middle of all the things that we're going through as a reminder to stop and find your way back here. This is why we do communion when life is hard. This is why, why ministers and elders do communion sometimes in crisis moments, because these are the elements where Christ said, come and meet me here. And maybe you can't process all of the words, maybe all the liturgy, it's, it's just a fog as you're just sitting there holding your bread. And that's why we say stop. Stop and receive. Partake of the good news, not in word, but in symbol of the bread and the cup. It's where we find God. And sometimes when we lose our way and signs point us back on the right track, we might define ourselves incorrectly. We might have all kinds of pressures in the world telling us who to be and how to be and, and what should we do and, and how should we vote and what should we post and, 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 and what should we look like and, and what personality is acceptable and fitting and all these different ways that we will always be asked throughout our entire lives, regardless of age, we will be asked to conform and define ourselves in a certain way. This is how to be a good employee in this company. This is how to be a good parent. This is how to be a good sibling. This is how to be a good spouse. And there's no shortage of suggestions of what that can look like. And communion is one more place where Jesus says, stop. There's all kinds of invitations to define yourself in different ways. And I say to you, stop. And remember that the story that defines you are the stories that we find in Scripture. That when we come to the reading of God's Word, these are the stories with which we define ourselves that the crossing of the Red Sea is our story of deliverance, that the story of Christ's death and resurrection is our story of redemption, that we participate with Christ in his sufferings and that we also participate with Christ in his life and in his glory and in his reconciliation between the world and a holy, holy God. Communion is a sign that tells us to stop and to remember how we choose to define our lives is defined by the Word, the written Word, and defined by Jesus, the living Word, who gave us His body and His blood 
for the forgiveness of sins, for salvation, and for hope. In all of these ways, communion asks us to stop, to take a deep breath, and to receive a holy moment in time. And to imagine that that at this table, as we partake together, Jesus is inviting us just a little bit higher above our earthly sorrows. And so, friends, we will invite you to stop for this moment. And as we partake of communion today, um, you know, we'll partake with the the prepackaged cups, or if you're at home and you have your elements with you, um, just as a quick note, Will you raise your hand if you need communion supplies that you didn't get them yet? Because we have a couple elders who will run to you. I think we're okay. I wonder, friends, if there's one final lesson that we have today in communion of uh, these prepackaged cups. You've got to be careful with that first layer of foil because um, the, the wafer is like right underneath it. So if you go all the way down to the juice, um, you went too far. The wafer's between it. But I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're here and partaking of that, either the uh, dairy, wheat, gluten, soy, and nut-free wafer or the other one, it's not really that good. <laughs> like, it just doesn't taste good. And if you're at home, you might have a slight advantage, but we're celebrating two different aspects of communion. If you are at home and you are sinking your teeth into the most delicious homemade bread that you have ever made, and you are saying, thanks be to God, because these are the gifts of God for the people of God, then enjoy that aspect of communion because God loves you and does invite us to enjoy life. And if you are here and partaking of a slightly chalky wafer, melts in your mouth, not your hand, It's got that on Skittles, I guess. It might be just one more moment where Jesus says to us, Stop. Don't even be tempted to complain about the bread. We know it's chalky. But stop. Stop and remember that this gift is for you, but it's not about you. It's not about how much I enjoy the sacrament defines my life in God. It is about the simple partaking of the bread that we will do together. This is what it's all about. It is for us, but it's about Jesus. And it's about the element itself. And if you're in the midst of trials and suffering and uncertainty, it might not feel like enough. But when you are hungry and you have something to eat, or when you are thirsty and you have something to drink, It means the world. Christ has overcome the world. And so in these elements, in his body and in his blood, we take that moment to stop and remember the one who has overcome the world. We're going to drop the screen now. And you'll see the three aspects that we uh, talk about in our liturgy with communion. And hopefully you've heard them before, but they're three simple words. Remembrance, communion, and hope. The words are simple. And it's once again to help us define what, what is it that we're all about when we come here to the table. To remember with our mind, 
the good news of the gospel and to remember and pay attention to this today in the liturgy that the good news that we remember is not just an abstract story, but it is something that has been sealed within our hearts that trials and tribulations and hardships cannot take away from us. We remember that Jesus' love and the gospel story is deep in our hearts and that we'll come together in communion, meaning with one another, that we are unified in Christ and that through Christ we are unified, reconciled, and in communion with God and that we have hope of all of the angst in our world from cities that are in uproar to elections that that loom heavy on our hearts to all the hardships of, of COVID and back to school and figuring out life. In all of this, we remember where to place our hope. Stop and put your hope here.